Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is actually a returning guest, Anthony Stefano. As a reminder, Anthony is an author, television host, activist, and he's written five best-selling Christian books for adults, including A Travel Guide to Heaven and Ten Prayers God Always Says Yes To. He's also written eight best-selling books for children, including The Donkey That No One Could Ride and Little Star. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a new book, actually for adults, uh, and hopefully makes us all better adults. It's called 30 Days to Your New Life, A Guide to Transforming Yourself from Head to Soul, put out by Sophia Institute Press. And Anthony, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a great pleasure. Really enjoyed the book. And, you know, as we were talking off air, um, you know, I, I really appreciate the directness. And you kind of warn people up front, look, this isn't for, you know, the weak of heart. If you're wearing your emotions on your sleeve, you're going to have a problem. And, and unfortunately, in this world, how many people are doing that today, right? We live in this woke, you know, narcissistic society that if you say boo to somebody, they go off the rails, don't they? That's absolutely right. And I didn't want this uh, book to be that way. I think that, you know, if uh, the Bible says, if the trumpet sounds an uncertain call, who will arise for battle? And the answer is nobody, nobody. You know, if you really want people to stop making excuses and and help them to do things right for a change and get back on track and do something radical, like change their lives for the better, then you've got to be a straight shooter. You've got to you've got to use tough love. I think the key is as long as you don't, as long as people don't get the the feeling that you're coming from uh, a sadistic place, that you're, in other words, that you're being tough just for the sake of being tough. As long as they know that on some level you're really, really trying to help them, and maybe even on some level that you love them, I think that it, that they 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 yearn for tough talk. They want to hear from people who have certitude. So I think there's a balance there, and I really hope and pray that I achieve that balance in this book, because I really do want it to, to help people change their lives. And you mentioned it in the book, right? If, if, you're, if you're looking for the next pity party and have everybody, you know, tell you that it's not your fault, and you're a victim of circumstance, this book probably isn't for you. But if you're a person who is seeking happiness and seeking a deeper relationship with the Lord, and really a realistic view of yourself, this book will really help you achieve that, won't it? I hope so. I mean, uh, one of the chapters is get off your pity pot and stop complaining. And, and uh, you know, we all of us need to complain once in a while. You know, we need to vent a little bit. But there comes a time when you really want to turn things around. And when you want to turn things around, then complaining actually paralyzes us. It stops us from taking, it totally stops us from taking any kind of productive action. Uh, you know, God say, when Paul started complaining to God, God said, hey, my grace is sufficient. My, my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God told the great St. Paul himself essentially to be quiet you know, and, and it's when you're weak and when you need things, that's when I can help you more. St. Augustine, St. Augustine said, you know, when your hands are empty, that's when God can fill them up with grace. It's when they're full, full of pride, uh, then he can't really help you. But when, they, when you're humble and you, you're honest about yourself and your problems, then God, then that's when God can really come in and help you. But I think that's what makes this book different than a lot of self-help books. 
Uh, it really calls a spade a spade, right? It's, it's very black and white in terms of, look, some of the issues that we all struggle with, but these are the things we need to be realistic about. And even in you know, that first week, it really does require a great deal of self-awareness, right? For those who think it's everybody else's fault but our own, it really requires us to look in the mirror because what's looking back at us is our biggest problem. That's right. And, you know, uh, again, another great spiritual writer, C.S. Lewis, um, in one of his letters, you know, he was admitting to a friend that when you and I really analyze my, my thought process, my stream of consciousness, consciousness, I see that every third thought that I have in my head is devoted to self-love. It's devoted to myself, how I'm going to look to people, how I'm coming off. You know, it, it, you've got to have that kind of radical um, self-awareness. Um, you know, with, without self-loathing, the idea isn't to hate yourself. The idea is to be honest with yourself so that you could take productive action. And you mentioned, you know, uh, the difference between this book and self-help books. Look, I'm for, I'm for all for self-help and personal development. I've taken those programs myself over the years, but you know, what I've, what I've learned is that they, they, they have very temporary results. You know, um, they work for a while, but then life really comes along and hits you with a two by four. Uh, and that's when all the self-help programs break down. And the reason is because they focus too much on self-help and not enough on God's help. That's the big trap of the self-help industry. You know, you can use all the personal development principles in the world to become very, very successful, but then you could just end up being miserable. Just look at all those Hollywood movie stars out there who spin out of control with drugs and kill themselves despite all their success. If you've got your priorities screwed up, uh, then you're never going to be at peace no matter how successful uh, you are. And you make it a point that, you know, this is a, you know, a 30 day guide and there, there's plenty of opportunity to kind of reflect at the end of chapters and everything. But why is it important that we start this on a Monday and just not, hey, I picked up the book and I'm going to start it on a Wednesday evening or something? Well, you know, that's interesting. First of all, I wrote a book. The book is a 30-day program because I want to take uh, advantage of the power of momentum, which is one of the chapters in the book. Uh, if, if a person has, uh, has amassed a lot of problems in their life, uh, it hasn't taken them one day to amass those problems. It's taken them a long time. And it's naive to think that you could solve all the problems in one day. You're gonna, it's going to take a while to solve those problems. So instead of trying to binge and, 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 and get crazy and get all overwhelmed, You've got to do a little bit at a time. Slow but steady uh, wins the race. Uh, so it's important to, to uh, in this book anyway, to, to, to take these small steps but get consistent, consistently do them with success over the period of a month. And my hope is that by the end of that month, people will be raring to go. They'll be on fire. And not only that, but they will have established habits that might have, hopefully will have a, a lifetime effect and won't just be a phase. As far as why I start, I tell people to start on a Monday. The reason is because I break the, the uh, I use the same, the same plan that God used actually when he created the universe. You know, God created the universe in six uh, days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Well, what we're trying to do in this book is help people create a new you, a new, a, a new transformed person from head to soul. So what I do is I start them on a Monday. We do, uh, you know, reading days Monday through Saturday with little action items each of those days. But then on Sunday, we rest. That's it. Sunday is a day for for, for a celebration, uh, going to Mass, praying, and, 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 and reviewing the accomplishments uh, of the week. So I figured, you know, if, God, if that 
kind of six-day work, one-day rest is good enough for God, then, then of course it's going to be good enough for everybody else. It does remind us, too, when bad things happen, it's generally because we've done something. Not always. Sometimes there are circumstances, but uh, garbage in, garbage out kind of reminds me. But in Chapter 2, you talk about taking control, right? It reminds us that we are actually in control. We get to make our own decisions. If somebody's going to make us mad or somebody's going it's because we allowed that to happen. And this, it, this should be really comforting to people that we aren't, you know, just victims and, and blow wherever the wind goes. We actually have an opportunity to take control of our lives by bringing God into our life and not let all these outside influences kind of move us in different directions. That's right. And it goes to the very core of uh, our identity as human beings. We were created by God in the image and likeness of God. That means we have an intellect and will, and we have creative power. God is a creator. And so he gives us that power as human beings to create. And that, that includes the power of, of, of recreating ourselves and creating our environment. Now, yes, it's not all our, the big mistake the self-help industry makes, which I just said earlier, was that it's too much self-help and not enough God's help. But a human being who is, uh, quote-unquote, plugged into the God, who's working with God, who's aligned with God, you're, you're, you're plugged into the power source of the universe, to this, the source of all creative power. Imagine what you can do if you plug yourself into the creative source of, of the universe. So, so yes, it's, 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 um, it's not our conditions, it's our decisions uh, the, which, which are most important in helping to create the environment around us. And we're very, very blessed that God gives us that power, that we're not helpless. We're not helpless. There are so many stories out there. Uh, and I'm not being um, naive. I know a lot of people are suffering because of they, they work, they're in terrible jobs, and their bosses are terrible, and people are dying on them and their family. It's not their fault, and it's not their fault that they're depressed. But, just, but it's just as true that there are so many people out there who you know, have experienced horrible suffering and born without all their limbs or born with terrible diseases or have family members who have that have somehow managed to overcome those problems with the help of God and not only, not only um, uh, 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 endure but prevail. Uh, with a joyful uh, uh, Christian attitude. And, and that's what we're trying to get people to latch on to in this book. Well, and I don't know, you know, what your uh, motivation was for writing the book. So I, I will ask that. But, you know, you look at the world, and I don't know if this is part of it, but you see the depression, the anger, the despair. I mean, people looking for happiness in all the wrong places. You know, when I read this book, it just reminds us that Focus on the Lord and let him lead and guide us, because when we buy into this world, we're going to end up miserable people because we're sold a bag of nothing. But what was your main motivation for writing this? I think it goes right to what you just said. The world is selling us something. Um, they're selling us something with the wrong definition of happiness, the wrong label. You know, you know let's say you, were, you wanted to get to a certain place in New York City. Uh, which is close to where I live, and you've never been there before, and you go out one and buy a map, 
but there's been an, um, an error in the printing of the map, and it's really a map of Chicago. If you tried to follow that map, it would be very confusing. You know, you'd go down one street mm-hmm. and make an error. Uh, okay, but that's exactly what our society has done to people today. It's given us a map that's, that they label happiness, and they've urged us to follow it, only it's not a map to happiness. It's a map to success or self-improvement or to worldly pleasures or to, to social media fame or to, you know, sex without responsibility. Who knows what? Most times, though, it just ends up being a map to misery. But the wrong label has been stuck on it. It's been sold to us anyway. And like sheep, we just blindly follow it. And then we scratch our heads and wonder why we never arrive at this destination. Uh, so I wrote this book in, in, in part to, to help people to help people, you know, with the right uh, map and the right destination, uh, and 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 so that they won't be so miserable. Because I am, I am, uh, you know, I, I do look around, and you you can't help but see all the confusion and the misery and unhappiness in the world. You know, I think when people pick this book up, you know, just reading through it, if we really love those around us, we'll want to make ourselves better, more holy people, because. The Lord has given us these gifts to our spouses, our children, or who, who's ever in our lives. And, and to make ourselves more Christ-like and to follow him and to clean up those vices and those things that we do in our life that we, we don't like really shows how much we love those around us, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, I, I write about this in the book. Everybody in the world seems to say love is all you need. You know, it wasn't just the Beatles that sang that. And the Bible says that, too. But the, the real truth is that love uh, is the most abused, confused, misused, and overused word in the English language. There's only one true definition of love, and that is sacrifice, self-giving. Love means doing what's best for the other person, not for yourself. Just like Jesus Christ taught us on the night before he died. He said, this is my body given up for you. That's the meaning of life. And, and, and of course, from John 3:16, God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only son for us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have e- eternal life. That's what love is. And if you practice true love, as you were just saying, then it really does have the power to lead you to peace and happiness. And the reason is this, that God is love. So if you love the way God loves, in other words, if you give every bit of yourself to others, and you're Christ-like, then what you're really doing is, again, you're plugging yourself into the very substance of God, into the power source of the universe. And that's going to have a transformational effect on your whole life. Okay, And given time, it will transform your work environment and your home environment. Um, and that's why the greatest symbol of love in the world is not the the, uh, the ring or the heart, but it is the cross. When you imitate God and you start and, and imitate Christ, and you, uh, he's going to start performing miracles in your life, and, and he's going to give you a peace and a joy that, as the Bible says, transcends all understanding. But I think, you know, going back to your other point, you know, the terrible things that people endure, we all have stuff, right? We all have challenges. We all have those crosses. And again, to your point, you know, we can't get to Jesus Christ except through the cross. So when we try to ignore it, we try to blame other people, all we're doing is leading ourselves away from Christ as opposed to unifying ourselves with him, right? Yes, and you know, you talk about this cross, and people don't understand sometimes, you know, they say, uh, they, 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 they get mad at Christians when, uh, when um, you know, when terrible things happen to themselves and, they, and there's suffering in their life. Yes, all of us have suffering, and suffering is so hard. And, and we try to explain to them that God can pull suffering 
Uh, again, God can pull good out of evil. God can pull good out of suffering. And they, they get angry because they're like, well, how in the world can, can God pull good out of this terrible thing, me getting fired from this job, or, 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 or my son getting killed in a traffic accident? And all we can say, all we can say to them is, is look at the cross. Look at, look at that. What's the, what's the greatest evil that's ever taken place in the history of the world? It's not, it's not a homicide. It's not, a, 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 not even a genocide. Okay, the greatest evil that ever took place in the world it was deicide, deicide, the murder of God. When they, when, when his own creatures killed God on Good Friday, that was the worst evil that could ever happen in the world. The crucifixion was the worst evil. But what what happened three days later? Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but he didn't just rise from the dead for himself. He made it possible for all of us to rise from the dead. He made it possible for us to go to heaven. He opened the gates of heaven. Well, that just wasn't a, a one little good thing. That was the greatest possible good. So look what God was able to do. From the greatest possible evil, he was able to pull the greatest possible good. Now, if God can do that, then he could certainly pull good out of all the irritating and, and painful and sometimes even terribly painful things that are happening in your life. But you do just have to have faith that he can do it. You have to have faith that there's a bigger plan that you can't see. Well, and to do that, you know, and I think it's week three, you talk about, you know, putting priorities in order. And when, when God is first in our life, then doesn't necessarily make it easier, but we're able to understand and maybe explain things better than if he's number four or five and we only reach out to him when, uh, you know, when we're in a jam and, you know, we don't even recognize his voice at that point. Yes. And, you know, and I say that even earlier in the book, I say, uh, you, you got to put God first. And, and I mean that very, very literally. And I mean, first thing in the morning, you know, if you want, if people out there want a practical tip, when you get up in the morning, when you're just coming out of dreamland and entering back into the world of living, offer up a quick prayer to God, uh, thanking him for, just thank him for another day. You know, that's all you have to do. Don't, don't let your first thought be devoted to the stressful meeting that you have to have or your social media account or all the bad things that might happen to you. Say a quick prayer to God. Thanks for giving me another day. If you have time, say the Our Father. If you're Catholic, we have a beautiful morning offering that you could print out and put on your bedstand, if you like, or on your smartphone. Give the first thought of the day to God. You put God first, God is going to put you first. Very, very simple, but it's true. Okay? Put God first, and God's going to put you first. I think that's kind of the beauty of the book, right? I mean, in the end, it's not rocket science, but we need reminders of these things, right? We may have heard them on and off throughout our lives or heard bits and pieces, but you kind of synthesize things. And, and again, it's not rocket science, but it's things we need to constantly remind ourselves of, whether it's self-awareness, putting our priorities in order. And you do that in a very clear and concise manner. Well, thank you. And, you know, I know, um, you know, people probably don't even, don't even only football fans uh, remember who Vince Lombardi uh, uh, was. He's the greatest football coach of all time, coached the Green Bay Packers. And he was, uh, you know, he had so many championships back in the 1960s. Uh, but, but he was famous for just teaching the basics. He taught his team. I mean, he had one famous uh, move called the power sweep. And, and he taught that to them over and over and over again. And the opposing teams, the teams that faced him, they knew 
that when they uh, fought his team, all they, 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 they knew what plays they were going to use, but they could never overcome it because these people the, on, on, on his team were so good at the basics. You, 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 you perform those basics over and over again until they become a habit, until they become as natural to you as breathing. And there's no way that anything is, gonna, is going to overcome you. You're going to beat every obstacle in life. And, and in our Catholic faith, we don't have that many of these things to master. There's, some, there's a few principles from personal development world. There's a few principles uh, from the Catholic faith, you know, like the Mass and confession, things like that. I mean, you keep doing these things over and over again, and you're going to come out a champion. Well, it is a reminder how how redemptive the the sacraments are, right? What a, what a gift, a gift of grace that we're able to receive. But you know, when you read, you know, going through this book, we need to remind ourselves: look, the evil one's going to try to sidetrack us, right? We may go in with the best of intention, but we're going to have to have a lot of perseverance because we're going to hear things like "You're never going to change," "It's all your fault," "Why does this matter?" "God doesn't." Let-. I mean, we all we can just picture all or think about all these thoughts that's going to are going to come into our head. We really has to per- we have to persevere and keep our eyes on Christ, kind of the eye on the prize type thing. Yes, you know, and 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 uh, of course, when you study Catholicism and you study Christianity, you know about the doctrine of the fall, the in the Garden of Eden. And how man fell, and that one of the things that resulted in was something called concupiscence, which is sort of like a spiritual gravity. You know, we have a tendency to fall. Uh, you know, and 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 that's why uh, Christians and good Catholics and great saints have always been humble. It's not so much that they expect to fall; it's that they're not surprised when they fall. You know, and they know that the the key is to just to pick yourself up, even if you've fallen a thousand times. Don't beat yourself up. Pick yourself up. You know, Mother Angelica, who founded EWTN, she had something called the D&D system. Do it and drop it. You have to remember, one drop of Christ's blood is enough to wash away the sins of a billion universes. You've got to really, really believe that. That doesn't mean you don't try your best to fight against all the obstacles and all the sins and all these tendencies, but you also have to understand that if you do something and you really are sorry, God is going to forgive you. And if you're a Catholic, you know you have to go to confession if you've committed a grave sin. And it's so easy. God has made it so He's done all the heavy lifting for us by being crucified. So we have no excuse. We can always have a clear conscience just by, by making use of that beautiful sacrament called confession. No matter how well we're doing in our life or how well we think we're doing in our life, right? There's something in this book and and following this program that will help cleanse even the things we may not even be aware of right now because we're we're looking harder at ourselves than we normally do. So it really does give us an opportunity no matter where we are or even no matter what our relationship with the Lord is, we can always do better. And this book can kind of help us focus on those areas that maybe we're not always aware of. I hope so. And that's where the personal development end of it comes in, too, because, you know, it's very interesting. Just like people uh, focus too much on self-help and not enough on God's help, some people could be on the other side of the spectrum. They could be overly spiritual. And, and they can think that, well, all I have to do to solve my problems is say one little prayer, and God is going to wave a magic wand like a magician, and he's going to eliminate all the prayers from my life. 
uh, the, the problems for my life. They forget the simple adage that God helps those who help themselves. And uh, the, the self-help industry, the personal development world, they have discovered a lot of different uh, effective tools that we can use. And as good Christians and good Catholics, it behooves us to learn those things and help us. We got to, you know, to, to help uh, to get to make it easier for God to help us. We need to be helping ourselves. And I try to include the most important of those kinds of rules uh, in this book. You know, like a great chef, you always have to be sharpening your knives. Okay, and and I I hope this book is like a course in sharpening all your spiritual tools and your self-help personal development tools. Well, if we don't sharpen them, they're going to get even more dull. We can't just stay where we are. We have to keep moving in the right direction towards Christ. You know, you write a lot of books for for adults and children, and, you know, we've interviewed you on children's books and now this. Do you have a favorite audience that you like to write to? Is it the adults? Is it the children? Uh, that's a really good question. I have to tell you that it's harder to write for adults uh, because, you know, you have to do a lot of research and you have to make sure that you're writing something not only original, but in a, something in a compelling way. You know, sometimes I'll be there, you know, spending days on just a couple of paragraphs, writing and rewriting. Uh, writing for children is a much more joyful experience. It's, it's much more, it's more fun, obviously, to make a child smile. However, the, 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 the um, the challenge is that it's actually harder to come up with an original idea for a children's book. Uh, there's so much competition out there. Uh, so many people think they could write children's books that the, that the submission rate for children's books is so great that in order to get a children's book published, it's act, you really do have to have a great idea. So when a great idea strikes me uh, by the grace of God, then I get very excited because I know that once I had the idea the hardest part is over, and then the next few weeks I'll spend writing it, and I, uh, it's nothing but pure joy, just pure joy trying to write the children's book so that not only that they can understand it and be entertained by it, but that the parents and the aunts and uncles and the, the, the older siblings, that anyone reading that book to the child will also see, have some insights and be reminded of maybe truths that they've forgotten. So the whole process is a great joy once you've come up with the original idea. Uh, before that, though, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just as challenging to write for adults. How can people follow what you're doing, Anthony? I do have a web page. If people don't mind my long Italian name, it's www.anthonydestefano.com. You'll see all of my books. Uh, there's something, there really is something like 26, 27 books right now, and I've got more children's books coming out next year and more, another adult book coming out next year on miracles. Uh, so if they go to that webpage, I think that'll give them a good idea. And as far as where they can get the book, I'm very, very blessed. My books have very wide distribution. You can get them anywhere, whether it's Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I always like to tell Sophia Institute Press for this particular book, and I always like to tell people to try to patronize their local Catholic bookstores, keep them in business uh, against the conglomerates there. But they're pretty much anywhere, to use the proverbial, anywhere where books are sold. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.